Revelation 4 is where we'll be today. Um, so you may want to get your thumb there, get it handy um, for us to turn to in just a couple minutes. As a kid, uh, I know it may be a little bit hard to believe, <laughs> but as a kid, um, I was a bit of a type A fanatical rules keeper. I figured that'd get a few little chuckles. I bet my wife's going to sit there in second service and just be I'm not saying anything. Um, I, actually, I just I wasn't just a, a bit of a rules keeper. Um, I was maybe what you might call the rules jerk. I was the rules jerk um, in, in whatever kind of context I could find myself. And, and we all know, those of us who used to have recess, I don't even know if they have recess anymore, uh, but, but back in the playground, I was that kid, all right? And back in the playground, when, when you're a boy, like all you live for is recess, man. It's just all about recess and sports. It's all I remember as a kid was playing sports, and, uh, and, and I was the rules jerk, which meant that um, I always made sure I kept track of the score. I always uh, made sure to keep pharisaical record of uh, every single rule. Um, I know some of y'all out there are tracking, I know, um, because, because I knew the rules, and I was sure to apply them evenly. And equally to everyone, uh, no playing favorites, no exceptions. That's not how this game is played. Um, I wanted the game and I want everybody to be able to play, wanted to be played fairly. That was my goal in those, you know, to make sure the game was played fairly. <laughs> so I thought. So that being the case about me, you can imagine how frustrated I would get when there would be in the game or on the playground that one kid that one smart aleck kid who would always end up saying the one thing that playgrounds ki- playground kids always knew could end any argument. And it would be that he would say, you can't tell me what to do. This is a free country. There would always be that kid who would come up with the, well, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Like he knows what the clauses in the Constitution and Bill of Rights are. You can't tell me what to do. This is a free country. Man, that kid bothered me. It wasn't playing fair, at least I felt like it. And and you can't just proclaim yourself like the great exception to the rules. Freedom doesn't mean no rules, and I knew that even then. But that kid, that free country kid, he reflected an idea uh, that we are taught from early on in this independent-minded free country. It's basically can't can't nobody tell me what to do. And we will not be ruled over by anyone else. We will not be ruled by a monarchy. That's a truth that we Americans have been willing to die for in our history that, because we believe it's so important. And what that means for us, especially when we read Scripture and when it comes to accepting uh, God's unsurpassed glory, what it means is that this concept of someone being sovereign over us is a little hard for us to accept. Now, in our modern society of sophistication, add in all those amazing graphics, the the amazing graphic imagery that we see in movies and commercials and advertisements every day. Add in that kind of element, and you've got two strikes against us being at all in awe of the kind of images that we read in Revelation 4. There's an inherent difficulty we bring to the text when we read this kind of imagery that is supposed to say to us, wow. And what instead we say is, I've seen that movie. 
You know, the, the concept of, of God on the throne and beasts with wings and eyes all around with them, within them, that, that sing praises to God. That, that kind of idea is for most modern Americans, it's pretty much a ho-hum kind of experience when we read words like this on the page. Thrones, thrones, for example, seem to us in modern America like a relic of a bygone era when, cool, when, when kings used to rule the land. And so it's a little bit of a hard concept for us to get a good grasp on, on this in America. We feel sort of like, I've seen cooler stuff in the movies. Well, no, you haven't. Maybe you've read a book or seen a movie or been awed by commercials and advertisements that have cool graphic imagery and, and things like that that elicit these emotions in you. But you've never, you've never been John. And, and you've never been brought along in an experience like this to go see for yourself what goes on with worship of God in heaven. <laughs> except, except in those rare moments when the presence of God is all-consuming. Maybe in worship there are times when we're singing and the harmonies are going on and, and you're, you're experiencing the awe and wonder of God in a way which just is overwhelming to you. That's a picture. That's a piece. That's a little bit. That's a glimpse of the kind of experience that John had here. And actually, <laughs> I propose that we actually understand a little bit more of what it's like to be under the authority of a throne than we think we do. And let me, let, me, let me show you a picture of what I mean. There are men all over this country. There are men all over this land who have thrones in proliferation in their own homes. I give you the modern male throne. Picture time sermon, guys. Picture time sermon, guys. There we go. The modern male throne also known as the Barca Lounger, which is one of the first companies to make this a famous thing in America. They advertise this to men across the country for decades upon decades. Actually, turns out they're now being made and headquartered in Morristown. So from this reclining throne, many a man has held sway over his dominion. Think about it. It's only a parallel in small sense, but think about it. Many a man has held sway over his dominion with great power and might from this throne. And the evidence of that kind of might can be heard in powerful phrases like this. Hey, hand me that remote. <laughs> Actually, at my house, it's sort of like, okay, could you pretty please with sugar on top, hand me that remote, and I'm sorry I'm such a you know, male chauvinist pig, honey. Um, that's how the conversation really goes for me. Um, but, but seriously though, how many of you grew up in a household where dad had his chair? Where there was a dad chair in the house? A very definitive place where dad sat. In, in a sense, in a sense, even though this is infinitely less than the reality of what we'll look at in Revelation 4, in a sense, this is a picture of the feeling of what it's like to be under the authority and dominion of somebody else. And if you had a dad chair in your home, then you know exactly what I mean. It's a little silly to suggest, I know, but um, you, you know what I mean because you didn't get in the way when Dad wanted to sit in that chair. He didn't even have to ask. You just instinctively knew to move out of the way as Dad approached. In fact, sometimes if you were in the chair and you 
probably knew you shouldn't be because nobody's ever supposed to be in that chair. If you heard him coming down the hallway or, or, or knew that he was pulling up the garage door to get in, that you would suddenly disappear and not be in the chair. Uh, but somehow Dad always knew that you were in the chair. At our, at our house, in fact, I've noticed that our dog, uh, our dog knows who's boss. And so I will come up to the chair and the dog will get out of the way. And, you know, she knows that that's not her jurisdiction, that it's mine. Um, and that's about as far as my kingdom actually extends there. So. <laughs> Enough of the picture. We need to get to Jesus instead of uh, Barca loungers. Uh, here in Revelation 4, we, we see not just a real throne with real authority and real power. What we see is the throne. The one true throne. And this isn't the movies, and this isn't parallel to a a dad in a barca lounge or in the living room. This is a throne that is highly exalted above all earthly thrones. Napoleon, Charlemagne, Alexander the Great, all the likes of them were infinitely less able to fulfill this kind of authority and throne as we are. So here we're talking about the mightiest of the mighty, the throne of the one true God, capital O. There is only one capital O who can sit on this throne, and he alone is to be worshipped and praised And only humble hearts can approach this throne. Only humble hearts redeemed through and by Him approach this throne. Let's read together in Revelation 4. Verses 1 through 11. We'll go through the whole passage and then jump into some some details here. It says this, verse 1, chapter 4. This is John the Apostle speaking. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created." Jump back to verse 1. Let's learn about the power of the one seated on the throne. It says this, first two words, after this. Pause. After this, two words. This phrase is literally, after these 
things. And it is a phrase used by John throughout Revelation to mark the beginning of a new vision. And and this is the beginning of his next vision. You have uh, this phrase after this or after these things, uh, beginning of vision, also in 7-9. For those of you taking notes, chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 15, verse 5. And 18-1 and 19-1. and 19-1 for those of you taking notes. And, And this phrase doesn't mean this will be what happens next. What it means is this is the next vision that I saw. The very plain sense of it is simply, this is the next vision that I saw. Keep reading. Verse 1, it says, I looked and behold. After this, I looked and behold. That that phrase actually, I looked and behold, is used many times in the Old Testament. uh, Dozens of times associated with a prophecy where someone who was seeing a vision from God would say, I looked and behold. And so that's sort of a, a sign here. John knew the Old Testament Scriptures very well. And so he's telling us this is a vision from God. This is prophecy. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. This talk of a, a door standing open in heaven reminds us of chapter 3, verse 8 here in Revelation. If you want to jump back real quick, uh, in the letters to the churches here, it's the seventh letter, chapter 3, verse 8, and it says... Uh, there, chapter 3, verse 8. Not 2, 3. It says, Behold, I have set before you an open door. Again, these are the words of Jesus sent to the church through this angel. Behold, I have set before you an open door. This is a continued invitation here in Revelation 4. A continued invitation to have eternal fellowship with God and to get a glimpse into heaven. This is an offer from God. In fact, Jesus is the one who makes this offer, who opens the door. This is a gracious offer from God to see a glimpse of him on the throne. It's like Jesus here is saying, all right, hey, come here, come here, come here. Forget small earthly thrones. (laughs) Forget it. Just forget it. Because you've not seen anything yet. So here's what John experienced. Here's the amazing vision. Keep reading here, verse 1. It says, and the first voice... And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. This loud voice here is Jesus. And we know that this is Jesus um, because it's the same voice that John has already heard, already been listening to as he spoke to him in this vision. And uh, also because it's probably in red letters in some of your Bibles. Uh, John John is here referring back to that first voice that he had already heard in 1.10, in Revelation 1. Uh, verse 10. If you want to jump back there real quickly, uh, let's see where that shows up there. Revelation 1, verse 10. This is John reporting his first vision. It says, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So here in 4.1, it's still Sunday. It's still the Lord's day. Uh, and it's still that same vision, which is why after this doesn't necessarily say something that's going to happen in the future. It means after that first vision I received, Jesus told me this vision. And it's still the Lord's day. This is still Sunday. So John continues to receive this revelation here in one, And he hears that same voice of Jesus who says this. Keep reading in one. He says, come up here. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Come up here is a, a way of just saying come up to heaven. And uh, this is... Not 
actually, in my view, it's okay to believe this. It's okay to be a believer and believe this. Um, it's not, in my view, a, a verse about rapture. <laughs> uh, this is not saying, come up here, I'm going to rapture you now. Um, so, sorry, strict futurists. Uh, this is a verse that brings back for John, in fact, thoughts of the first biblical throne room vision, which we see in Exodus 24, 10 to 12, where God calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. That phrase, in fact, come up here, became something for the Jews, which was always reminiscent of that going up to the mountain experience with God, where Moses had the vision and the Ten Commandments happened, and he came back with his face um, unable to be looked at, and it was... um, that vision that John is hearkening back here to. So come up here uh, reminds him of Exodus 24, 10 to 12. And there's more evidence, in fact, soon of the parallel that we'll talk about between uh, Revelation and Exodus 24. So, so Jesus says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Uh, I don't think this is a statement about an exact chronology of the end of times as we often like to think of it. Uh, Jesus isn't saying, hey, Come on up here so I can show you how the end times is going to go down. Remember, we've been saying that the, the book of Revelation is not so much a blueprint or a roadmap. It's a picture book. It's a picture book. The best way to understand it is to say that we are being shown here, like John is, the now and the not yet nature of the end of times. The now and the not yet nature. What we're learning here is that Revelation highlights this truth about Scripture um, that is, here's a fancy word for those of you who want to look this up this week. This is a Bible nerd word. Inaugurated eschatology. In other words, God has begun this work of establishing His kingdom, but it's not totally done yet. And we know that this is possible because if you can say yes to Jesus, His kingdom's here enough for you to do that, isn't it? So something real has happened in the person of Jesus which makes available to us salvation here and now. And so the kingdom is available to us if we respond. But it's not fully, it's not totally realized. It's begun. It's an inaugurated end times. So if you want to check me, Bereans. Inaugurated eschatology is a whole bunch in verse 1. whole bunch for the Bible nerds to look into. Spent six hours in verse 1 this week. And now that we're done with that, verse 2. It says that once... At once I was in the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit is present here. At once I was in the Spirit, we'll see the Spirit later on here uh, as well. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. This is the first mention of the throne. And all of this passage and all of Revelation, in fact, centers around this concept of the throne. The throne is mentioned 135 times in the Old Testament. Uh, There are 61 mentions of it in the New Testament. 45 of them are here in Revelation. A full 25% of all the appearances of the throne and two-thirds of them in the New Testament appear here in Revelation. And so we see it here mentioned a lot in this passage. Not just a throne, but the throne. Not the throne of the elders, but the throne of God. In fact, that throne here in these 11 verses is mentioned 10 times. So God's throne is the centerpiece of this whole passage. In fact, it's a way of saying, for Revelation, the throne is a key symbol of everything. Math is on our side. 
in saying that this is the center of this passage and of revelation and of our lives. Interestingly, God the Father, his name or, or explicit mention of him is hardly in this passage, except to say that he is the one who sits on this throne. The throne is at the center of this passage. It's at the center of the book of Revelation because it's a sign of God's sovereignty and his authority. Nothing that God decrees does not come from this place of authority, his throne. All that he does comes from the throne, centers around the throne, and goes back to the throne. And that's a truth about your life and about this scene in Revelation 4. Is your life coming from and centered around and going back to this throne? That is, is He the ultimate forever authority for us? Everything that happens here in Revelation and in your own life ushers from this throne, centers around this throne, and ultimately goes back to the throne. And this throne room will be the destination for those who praise God and who give Him glory. So let's get to practicing. Verse 3 says this, He who sat there, he who sat there had the appearance, it uses the word appearance, remember it's a picture book, not a blueprint, he had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, we just sang those kinds of words in the Revelation song, we'll sing them again here. Uh, these are not sort of special symbols that we're supposed to uh, figure out some sort of hidden meaning that's not apparent here <laughs> uh, for the Bible nerds among us. Um, overly literal futurists turn out to be functional Gnostics. Overly literal futurists end up being functional Gnostics. I'll let you look into that if you'd like. Uh, these images here, these images here are colorful and valuable symbols of the beauty that ushers from God's throne. They're just meant to, to, to make you look at them and go, that's beautiful. That's majestic. So, these images here are for that kind of emotional response. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. This is not the, the throne of God. These are other thrones. Around the throne of God were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders. We mentioned in passing last week that uh, it's 12 Old Testament tribes plus 12 New Testament apostles uh, just as symbols of unity. We don't know that those are exactly the ones on that throne, but they're called 24 elders as if they hold some of that authority of God, not insofar as He does, but insofar as He allows them to, uh, to use that authority for His good. These are conquerors that are spoken of throughout Revelation here on these thrones. And so there's a symbol of unity, all 24 of them, 12 Old Testament, 12 New Testament. It's a symbol of God's people uh, being called and gathered around the throne. Uh, these are probably not angels, as uh, some suggest, uh, for about seven good reasons, which we don't have time to get into. Um, so they are clothed, continuing on in verse 4, they are clothed in white garments, they have golden crowns on their heads, symbols of being conquerors through Christ. Uh, from the throne, God's throne, capital T, we're back to His throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. There's the Holy Spirit mentioned again. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass 
like crystal. This uh, lightning and rumblings and, and peals of thunder are again uh, evoking that image of Moses going up to the mountain uh, that John referred to earlier in Exodus uh, 24, 10 to 12. This is that same imagery um, being presented here. Uh, says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here are all present because uh, before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We saw the, uh, the Spirit bringing John into this vision earlier. So the Spirit is here as well as the Father who's on the throne. And we'll see the Lamb mentioned in Revelation 5. So the whole Trinity is here. Uh, we don't see Jesus until chapter 5. So keep reading here, verse 6. It says, Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Uh, and again, this is not something to try to force into some special or hidden meaning, um, which is a, a common mistake in interpreting Revelation. Uh, this sea of glass is just a common image that appears in other biblical visions of God's throne room. Uh, Exodus 24.10, if you're taking notes, uh, it appears there. It appears in Ezekiel 1.22 and 26. It appears in Revelation 15.2 later on. It's sort of like the floor of heaven uh, from our vantage point. Uh, the ceiling of the universe is also suggested. So um, it's just an image that says uh, that what we're talking about is the whole universe is going to worship here from that symbol. Around the throne, it says, this is verse 6, continuing on. Around the throne, on each side of the throne. In other words, the throne is central in this picture. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Uh, previous Old Testament uh, prophets had seen four creatures. Uh, Isaiah 6, they saw creatures like this. Isaiah 6, 2 and 3. Ezekiel 1, 10 and 18, if you're taking notes. These are creatures with the, the eyes of the cherubim and the wings of the seraphim that are put together in these creatures here. So these are creatures that are both like and yet unlike earthly creatures. These are both like and unlike earthly creatures. Uh, as a way of sort of saying these are new creatures. Symbolic of the new creation where worship of God and His glory will never cease. We see that continuing here in verse 7, that His, his worship never ceases. Verse 7 says this, The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, this is from Isaiah 6 too as well, holy, 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 three times holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this isn't just a future picture. Of worship. This is a now picture of worship. This is an already happening and will yet happen forever kind of picture, which means let's get to starting to worship now. Worship begins now as you submit yourself, like we see in this passage coming up here soon, as we submit ourselves to God, worship has begun and you get to participate with those who are redeemed like this picture. So here's the first hymn in this passage that they sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He is worthy of praise because unlike us, He is perfectly holy and beautiful and majestic and powerful. And it is from His throne that all power and authority are made known. And it says this, verse 9, 
Whenever the living creatures give present tense, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. This phrase has already shown up in verse 2 and it will show up in the next verse that, that the one who is seated on the throne, sort of like a title for God here. The title for God the Father. He's, he's so holy. You, you, you can't say His name for fear of defiling it. An old Jewish tradition. In, in contrast to that kind of reverence for the name of God, how, how cozy do we independent-minded Americans become with a God whose very name should be treated with reverence and care? His name is the one who lives forever and ever. The one who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. This phrase, this phrase about living forever and ever will show up again here. It emphasizes God's eternal character and nature. It never stops. Just like the worship of Him, His perfect and holy character and nature have always been and always will be. Which is why we have verse 10, where 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. They cast their crowns before the throne. Notice that the two groups, the, the four beasts and the 24 elders, of its coordinated worship, they fall down together. The word used here for worship means to bow down, to be prostrate, to be fully on your face before God. And these crowns that are referred to here um, are not crowns... Uh, on the elders' heads of royalty or authority. These are crowns of victory. These are crowns of victory. You see in the Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire, the, uh, the emperor of Rome who ruled over many lesser kings uh, occasionally commanded that those kings would come before the emperor and that they would lay their crowns down before him in honor of the emperor. And then he would take their crowns and give them back as a demonstration that their crowns, their right to rule, their victory came from him as emperor. So here in verse 10, these 24 elders are examples to us in worship. Our crowns, our crowns that are offered to God in, in worship are not our own good works offered in heaven. They are the good works done through God's good work in us. This is God's goodness we have experienced given back to Him in worship. This is giving back to God His glory. Acknowledging that we have derived our very being from God. And that all of the things we call our blessings and all of the things that we note as crowns and victory in our lives come from Him alone. And this is why we will sing the second hymn where the emphasis is on God. Verse 11. Worthy are You. Worthy are You, our Lord and God, 
to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Friends, faith in Christ means joining with all creation, with all God's redeemed creation to bring Him glory. It means falling down before the God who alone is worthy to sit on that throne. As the band comes up, we we have an opportunity to join with all of God's redeemed creation uh, to bring Him glory. We're going to sing a song that we uh, sang earlier, the Revelation song. It's based on this, this passage here in Revelation 4 and 5. And it's an opportunity to, to respond. Uh, it's an opportunity to come forward as a response in worship. To lay yourself at the foot of the cross and to name Christ as Lord by repenting from sin, being raised to, to new life in the waters of baptism. To respond by joining with us here as a member at FCC or if you just need somebody to pray with and talk to, we'd love to, uh, to do that as well. If you'd like to come forward as we stand and we sing together.